Hey, Juventini, welcome back to the All Juve cast. This is uh, season four, episode seven, post Juventus versus Sampdoria. And I got my man Cliff with me today. Cliff, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing now? Doing fantastic, man. Doing fantastic. Day after a win, a win we needed. And uh, yeah, we're going to address it all, chat about it all. And uh, yeah, we got some news that everybody's waiting for as well in terms of a few players and what went down. But we're going to recap it all really quick, some point form before getting to the goods. Okay. So uh, Juventus, of course, winning 3-2 over Sampdoria, making things very, very interesting, which still in a victory leaves a lot of Juventini pretty fired up uh, over these uh, victories. But we'll kick it off with uh, the starting lineups that we saw. Okay, so we knew uh, we were going to get Pedin in goal. So we got Pedin in goal, Quadrado, Delict, Benucci, and Sandro across the back. In the midfield, it shaped up with Bernardeschi, Bentancur, Locatelli, Chiesa with Dybala and Murata up top. Absolutely no issues uh, with this lineup. For me, because we had a little bit of rotation and it was just the right amount of rotation, which showed that Allegri was still getting after these three points. Um, your take on that lineup when you saw it, Cliff, and how you're feeling? I mean, <clears throat> I think it looks pretty good. I was pretty happy with um, what Allegri put out. Some people said, oh, it's over rotation. Um, but like Locatelli, I think he just needed to get time. He needs to constantly be getting time. Um, his talent level. You can't bench him. He's young. needs to be playing on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, you want to give him rest, but this is like one of those matches, Sampdoria, that you can't lose. You can't afford to lose like one of these matches. Um, it's kind of like a trap game, you know? It seems like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll fly by this, and we should have won this pretty easily, but, um, you know, the lineup, Cuadrado, um, Cuadrado and Chiesa, um, I loved uh, Morata played well. Um, who do we have the left? Who was on the left side again? <clears throat> for the midfield? Oh, yeah. We had Bernardeschi and Chiesa. Yeah, so Bernardeschi, he was okay. He did his job. Like, he didn't do anything special. I didn't really notice him a lot. Um, yeah. DeLitt was a wall in the back. Um, Pettin. I don't think Pettin gets enough credit for how he played. I think he played a good match, all things considered. So, lineup-wise, we had no issues. No issues going in lineup-wise. Um, we're all feeling confident. Uh, we gave our, uh, predictions and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody was pretty confident in the win. I think Anthony had, uh, three, one, I had three nil. I was thinking the clean sheet, uh, silly me because we're at 20 plus Syria matches now without a clean sheet that has to change played about six matches. Juve's conceded 10 goals. Uh, but we will get into, uh, all of this. Nama coming in here saying disappointing performance, slow advancing the ball, inaccurate passes. Feels like they've just met and have regressed from last year. They left Yoshida like he was a lighthouse on an island. So that's maybe a little dire. Um, I could see the game changing in certain moments, but let's recap it and go through the moments and then give our summaries towards the end there. So we've got uh, 10 minutes. Perfect, perfect start for Juventus in the 10th as Dybala uh, latches on to a ball that was just tapped over across from Locatelli after he tried a drive that was blocked, and Dybala finishes it spectacularly. Great finish, 1-0 up Juventus, perfect, perfect start. Minutes after that, like a minute and a half, Dybala again leading the rush, 
odd man break against Sampdoria. He finds Chiesa over on the right, and Chiesa absolutely has to finish this. He does not, and of course, Sampdoria still in the mix, but that's one that Chiesa would have wanted back 100%. He's got to finish that. 13th minute, Dybala again. Slotting to Morata, finding him as he gets a half break coming off the left side. And again, Odero makes a great stop uh, finishing it. He just hangs on to it because you could see he gets like an elbow to it and then it tucks in under his body. Very, very fortunate. But again, we want to put these away. If we put these away, this game is dead and killed. We're talking about the 13th minute right now with an opportunity to be 3-0 up on Sampdoria. Okay, and these opportunities have to be taken. Nonetheless, they weren't. 21st minute, Dybala injury. Big, big, big uh, gasps, man, from uh, Juventini everywhere because that's the one guy in a season where you're going where you lose Cristiano Ronaldo. We cannot afford Dybala out for a long stretch of time. You saw the tears in his eyes, taking off the armband, very emotional. We were all, uh, everybody was waiting for the news today on Paolo Dybala. We will get to the news on Paolo Dybala. Now, his replacement is Kuliszewski. Kuliszewski enters the match. He gets an opportunity in the 28th minute with a free header from close to the spot. Doesn't get it right, but that's all right. We continue on. 40th minute, out of nothing really, Chiesa takes a shot and catches the uh, defender's dragon arm, and uh, we get a PK. Benucci steps up in Paulo Dybala's absence, does fantastic, sends uh, Odero the wrong way, slots home, 2-0 Juventus. Perfect. Beautiful. We're going to go into the half. Nice 2-0 lead. Not so fast because we completely lose our marks on Yoshida, like Namba mentioned there, and uh, he ends up tying it. Um, this is frustrating because it's just a simple set piece. They take a short corner, Kandreva comes in, and then crosses one in and we had literally four or five players surrounding one Sampdoria guy and nobody picked up Yoshida. Bonucci tried to while it was too late as he was stretched watching back post two. There you go, 2-1. And just really, really frustrating because, again, we should have went into that half possibly even further than a 2-1 lead. Like we should have probably had uh, at least another goal, have three goals and shouldn't have conceded that one. But it's 2-1 at half. Um, we carry on. Big question. How do we follow up in the second half only being one goal up? On the live watch along, Anthony and myself said, you have got to get the next goal if you're Juventus. Okay, that third goal, that's going to be the big one. We did um, get it in the 55th minute. Chiesa did a lot of dancing. You could see he was trying to get into this shooting area. It's like just have a rip, have a rip, have a rip. He doesn't, he loses. And we're thinking, oh man, what an opportunity. You're like seven yards, seven or eight yards out. Kuliszewski makes a great interception. Uh, pressing, finds Locatelli. Locatelli puts it home. Locatelli's first goal for the Bianconeri, okay? 3-1. And from there, we get some changes. In the 70th minute, Chiellini and Ramsey enter the match for Kies and Bernardeschi. Um 73rd minute, we get an opportunity from Bentecourt, who puts it too close to the keeper. Um, unfortunate there, but he did everything else right leading up to that. 
Keane and McKinney enter the match for Morata and Bendecourt in the 82nd minute. Morata was asking for the change, apparently feeling something in his thigh. Now, in the 82nd minute, like right after the change, is Cuadrado with a brutal, brutal turnover. Okay, that comes right back down at us and ends up at Carandreva's foot as he slots home, makes it 3-2. We get through there. Okay, we, we, we close it out. We do get the 3-2 win. That's ultimately all that matters. But it's this closing out stage that I think seemed to mask a lot of that actual match because you and Tini were frustrated that yet again we make it needlessly nervy, so to speak. Like just it's always like that, right? So very, very frustrating from them. But your take on the match uh, summarized, Cliff and your thoughts and feelings after it ended 3-2 victory Juventus. Now we got Omar. We're going to quickly say hey to Omar. Omar, we just kind of recapped the highlights. We're about to give our summaries on the matches. Cliff, go ahead. So real quickly for the match, um, I just I think overall I'm a little bit disappointed in terms of possession. I thought we could have held more possession. I think we ended up with like 59%, which is good. But against the Sampdoria side, which – um, doesn't really have a lot in the midfield compared to Juventus. Like I would say Juventus' midfield is significantly better. I'm not saying much, but um, we should have held, I thought, like 65%. We really should have held more, and the quality of the possession should have been better. Um, but, I mean, there was some really good moments for Juve. Like the Dybala goal, obviously, early on was really great. Chiesa's almost goal was really good. Um uh, the Locatelli find from Kulusevsky. I love Locatelli getting into the box, driving forward. He's best when he's coming up from the back and trying to make things happen in the box, and then he gets found at the last second, finishes it. We saw that in the um, in the Euros this year. Um, he yeah. loved to do that. So that's such an important aspect of his game, which um, is really going to help Juventus, I think, going forward. And then obviously what needs to be noted is some of the really boneheaded mistakes, the Yoshida um, you know, goal. He should have been marked on that. The Kandreva goal. It was a great finish from Kondreva, but he should have never been in that position to get the ball there. Um, I mean, the Cuadrado mishap, it's just you you take the good with the bad. Cuadrado at his best is so got so much flair. He can get by you so easily um, with his pace and his, his skill moves. But then at some times he does too much and he loses the ball and puts us in a hole. Um, so you kind of take the good with the bad. Um, but I think overall, you know, this is good. This is our second win in a row. This shows that we're making progress. In the first few games of the season, I would expect to be losing these matches, you know, end up drawing or losing them. But we're, we're winning, being consistent. We're starting to show signs of life. And I'm excited going forward. I think we've shown some promise in the last two matches. Oh, there you go. And Omar joining us now. Uh, let's get your summary on the 3-2 victory over Sampdoria. Well, it's a victory. Victory is always good. And perfect performances are hard to come by for any team. There are always mishaps. So Colorado has a mishap. It happens every once every 10 games. It's okay. Um, overall, we were pretty good at losing Dybala hurt us. Uh, Kulu didn't look out of position the entire match. And we've been pretty wasteful. It could have been three or four up at the break. But it is what it is. 3-2 is a win. And... Uh, obviously, Sampdoria played uh, without some of their more important players. They had a really tough schedule to begin with. They already played Milan, Inter, Napoli, and Juve in like yeah. what was it, match day six? So they were pretty tired. 
and they got beat by Napoli earlier this week, in the midweek. So there was no Domsdor or Adrian Silva, but we should win these matches with these and kill them at the break. But I'm happy with the win. I can't can complain. There are a few spots that I would have liked to see something different or done better. But overall, I enjoy the win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for me, it's I, I thought it was a good match on our part. I know that there's frustrations with people continuing with Allegri. Um, basically, in the 70th minute when he makes the change that switches us to three at the back, saying that we cannot invite pressure. But... I didn't feel that frustration in this particular game. And the reason I didn't was because Sampadoria was basically toothless in this one. At the end of this match, Sampadoria finished with five total attempts. If uh, there are times where it's okay to do that. And Sampadoria really carried no threat. The only goals they got were from our mental lapses. Our level of focus needs to remain throughout. This is the one thing with Juventus that is very un-Juve-like, um, but it has been a trend for the past few seasons, unfortunately. You know, And this is the most frustrating thing for me, watching Juventus for so long, is that we're, that's usually a staple of a Juventus team, is how locked in and focused they are and... For us, it feels like every mistake we make ends up in the back of our nets. And that can't happen. If you look at Juventus, we've got six Serie A matches. We've conceded 10 times. Allegri speaks to it all the time, bringing down the number of goals allowed. In this particular match, I was not frustrated with them with him going to a three-man at the back because Sampadoria again, there was little to nothing there. Other than Cuadrado making that error that gave them the rush back against us where they found goal, um, a goal against run of play and just missed marking on a set piece that they scored those two goals. They literally had nothing other than a shot from Cuadrella from like 25 yards out that Perrin stopped. It, it It's fine. It's fine to do that in, in certain matches. I agree with some Juventini that there are certain times you don't want to see that, and the game does not call to go into this defensive shell or whatnot. This one should have been much, much more comfortable. And again, alluding to Cliff's point in possession decisions, we have to be smarter. We have to make better decisions in possession and not give it away so cheaply. That continues to be something that is kind of haunting us because we give our we give our opponents the best opportunities. They're not necessarily creating them on us. It's for, it stems from bad possession. Cuadrado got bit on that, but I can't really fault him because I think overall his match was pretty good. The only thing was Max even said before this one, Bentancourt and Cuadrado were two guys that are very, very tired that are going to need rest. However, he still started them, which showed to me he's going after the three points. He's still being aggressive and he's being light in his rotation. I will take Cuadrado at a little bit fatigued over Mattia De Chilio every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I don't know about you guys, but I take Cuadrado in that instance 150% of the time. Okay, so we can't really go at Allegri too hard in this particular scenario. Do you guys feel the same? Like I felt Sampadori was really, really toothless in this one. I wasn't 
concerned about that, and I didn't think he needed the criticisms of going into a defensive shell in this match because I saw no threat. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I, I didn't see like a Sampdoria. The, the scoreline lies a bit because they weren't yeah. so they weren't that close to matching Hugo on the field. And Quadrado's mistake, you know, this stuff happens. Every player does a mistake sometimes, and you learn from it and you grow from it. And it happens every now and then. I watch a lot of football. There isn't, you know, a Saturday without this type of mistakes from great and fantastic players. I'm sorry it cost us two major players for the Chelsea game. I thought Allegri wanted Danilo. That's why he rested him. He, I think he's important playing against Chelsea because we'll be on the back foot. But the game was Juve's to lose. Like those uh, Morata, Chiesa chances should have been buried. And yeah, a bit of a scare, but ultimately we won. So yeah. what is there to complain? It's like trying to find something that went wrong in a win is a bit weird to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cliff, your thoughts? So um, you made great points talking about possession again. Um, you know, I, I really want to highlight Pedin because he wasn't called, you know, to make saves a lot. But when he was, he was up to it. He made that great save on the Cuadrilla shot. Really good save because that was a really tough shot. Um <clears throat> And also, I want to make a quick note. Somebody said Omer looks like Bonucci, and I can't stop thinking about it. You look so much <laughs> like Bonucci. I feel like I'm talking yeah. to the man himself. Yeah, once once every podcast, someone mentions it. Sometimes Chiellini. Yeah, was, combination of the two. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Okay, so we touched on that. We all feel the same. I mean, you know, we agree on all that. Highest rated player in this one and your lowest rated player in this one let's kick it off with cliff so my highest rated i think has to be locatelli um because the way he was playing not just on the goal but overall in terms of you know he he was kind of quietly having a very 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 good game like he was being very solid in the midfield making good passes you know good movement on and off the ball so he is my man of the match um for me and I hate to give it to him because most of the match was good, but he put us kind of in a scary situation near the end. I'm going to give the lowest rated player to Cuadrado just because he kind of gave us a little bit of heart palpitations near the end of the match. Okay. Okay. Omar, your highest rated player for the match and lowest. Highest rated player I gave to Matthias Delic. He uh, was a monster. He wasn't at fault for any of the goals. And lowest rated might have to give it to Chiesa and yeah he was very wasteful and looked you know just all over the place without a real purpose and that miss at the beginning kind of hurt him and then he tried too much uh, but you know uh, you have to take uh, criticism every now and then to evolve as a player so this wasn't Chiesa's match but we we all seen that he learns from it and grows and becomes better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, I think uh, for the highest, um, I had Locatelli as my highest. Uh, I had Delict very, very close to him. And um, I'm going to go with Locatelli. I think he was, uh, my tweet basically said he was a silent assassin in this one. He was kind of like under the radar there, but doing everything so well. 
Um, the fact that he got involved and found that goal too, that uh, pretty much sealed it, ended up being the game winner. Big, big. Um, so yeah, I was I gave it to Locatelli. In terms of the lowest, the lowest I had a bit of a struggle with. Um, I don't think I would have given it to Quadrox. Like I said, I think he played well for the majority of the match. Yeah, he did put us in a tough situation after that really, really bad uh, dispossession. But Bernardeschi was probably one of the lower ones for me. And I don't think it was necessarily his fault. It just, it was, he, he wasn't involved enough, you know, and that could have been just the course of the game or whatnot. But even a lot of the, um, decisions that he had to make in those few instances were not necessarily the the right ones. Um, it, it was a weird one when watching it back. He didn't really put us under anything, but he didn't really help us any. Um, so he kind of just went under the radar. Uh, Morata was another one that was kind of low. Um, so I think you could pick out of, out of those two. That's kind of where I think. But Kesa yeah. was in my thought process. Kesa was in my thought process. He missed a sitter and after that uh we i want to get into this i really felt like he just tried to do way too much way too much after that miss and it became very very frustrating and i know that a lot of you and teeny are gonna uh, they protect this guy so much you know and allegri gets absolutely blasted for saying that he needs to be better in moments and scenarios and whatnot but this again highlighted it tremendously for me after that miss it was just man the dribbles the dribbles the dribbles it just hit the thing he had an opportunity too he's six or seven yards out luckily they made an errant pass at the back that kulishevsky cut off and found loka for that third goal but otherwise kiesa is right in a striking position take one touch and have a hit and he's just dancing and dancing and dancing until he runs himself right into two uh, defenders, but um, it was a frustrating one for me watching Chiesa and Omar had him as his lowest ranked cliff, your take on Chiesa's match. So the thing is, um, I, I agree. I think people protect him a lot. I think rightfully so because he's quote unquote, the future of the Azzurri and for also Juventus, Juventus as a whole. But um, you're right. After that miss, he seemed like he was doing too much, which I, I applaud him in a way because he was trying to make up for the mistake and he was trying to put in a lot of work rate and, you know, try to make as much happen as possible. But he has to realize he's doing like when you're dribbling past three guys and you're able to make three guys miss. And then on the fourth guy, you get the ball taken away from you. It's a bad look when you're trying to dribble off four guys as impressive as that is. It's, it's not realistic. It's not realistic to try to dribble by the whole team. Um, so I do think that's just a learning thing. He's going to learn. Okay. You know, he's going to look at the tape and be like, okay, I should have just pulled the trigger really quickly and not tried to um, dribble by so many players. And then on one dribble where he was outside the box, he was on the edge of the box, went by three guys and then got it taken away. He'll realize, okay, I should have dribbled those three guys and then try to distribute it, try to pass to somebody away. Um, and these are learning curves. Um, he's only 23. He's my age. And what the hell am I doing? I'm commentating on him. So um, I think he's just going to need more time to develop and he'll be that great player. He just needs more experience to really understand, you know, situational football. Yeah. And I, yeah. I honestly, I believe, I think with him, it's just going to be a matter of less is more. I think if he really simplifies things, he'll be 
even more effective understanding when it's time to use a given go you know and understanding that he pre- he can preserve more energy for the latter stages if he adapts that part of his game a little bit more right we saw a fantastic yeah. goal with the azuri when he worked a given go with uh, uh immobile but again it's also hard and he's working a lot more energy based on where he's got to come from coming from the far far side and far wing moving in right but omar what do you think less is more with uh Chiesa? yeah he's a young guy i'm sure i'm sure allegri has noticed it and will tell him to ease it down allegri hates those long runs and dribbles he likes the the passing he likes the movement he likes the positioning he doesn't like those players who dribble all the way to the performance area but uh if it wasn't for his asset for his assist that would have given it to Kulusevsky. That asset yeah. just shoved him a bit above Chiesa. But saying he was, you know, like the flop of the match doesn't mean he's bad and he should be yeah. disciplined or benched or anything. It's a learning curve. Uh, it's still a young player. You know, if you'd expect young players to act like they're 28 and have all this experience, then you're going to disappoint yourself that's how you learn you make these mistakes and luckily those mistakes came against Sampdoria and not against Chelsea so So, no worries we've got uh, we're gonna get to the news on Dybala and Morata real quick I want to touch on the player that came in for Paolo Dybala and that's uh, Kuliszewski Kuliszewski I want to get your guys' thoughts on his performance as he came in and covered for uh, Dybala. Let's start with Omar here on uh, Kuliszewski. Well, it, it wasn't a good performance at all. Like, he, he didn't know where to stand. He lost the ball. He fell to the ground way too easily, which I don't like to see. I like to see fight. I like to see them standing on their feet. If they have to give a foul, then give a foul. But I don't know. He was weird. He looked the most out of position I've seen in a while. Like, he isn't the replacement for Dybala. I would have put in Ramsey and not Kulusevski in that position. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Cliff, Kulusevski. So in terms of Kulusevski, um, it's like, he's, I feel like he's learning a little bit too much from Dybala because Dybala likes to you know go down pretty easily when he gets fouled. And Kulusevski, like Omer um, you know, alluded to, he was going down too easy. I like when players fight through it and... You know, if they get the advantage, they get the advantage, and if they fall after that, the play will be stopped. So um, I think he needs to fight through more of those challenges. Um, but, yeah, the decision-making looked really bad. Um, besides that one assist that saved him, kind of in terms of my rating um, and everybody's ratings, um, he didn't really have the best game. I remember there was one run through the middle of the pitch um, where he received the ball, and I remember you guys commentating on it for the, um, the live stream. He was taking the ball, and he literally runs into two defenders when Murat is ahead of him. If he goes to yeah. left and goes wide, that gives takes the defender with him, gives Murat a little bit more room to work with, and maybe he finds Murat on a run, and maybe he they score a goal on that one instead of he runs into two defenders, gets the ball taken away from him, and falls over. And it's a wasted um, opportunity to counterattack. Yeah, Kulishevsky is a... Uh, he's, he's a strange one. Um, I thought when he first came in, it was... R- pretty bad for the remainder of the first half um i thought as the game went on he grew a bit but that still wasn't enough like the growth that he showed in that match still wasn't enough and cliff touched on it the point we were making and one it was a it could have been a pretty 
uh, solid attacking sequence, but he chose to run the ball right into the mix of Sampdoria players rather than but break out wide. And it would have, again, given Morata that room. And it's that understanding of these moments. And it's exactly what Allegri has said about Kuliszewski, the same way that he talks about Chiesa, understanding moments of matches, scenarios, making the right decisions. It's all about making the right decisions more frequently. And that is something that some of these guys need to do a lot more of, again, in terms of conceding goals. It's us making wrong decisions. And by the um, way, this is actually a bright spot. It's actually a bright spot because if we think about the goals conceded, and while everybody gets frustrated about Allegri and like going to this defensive shelf, you still think about it and you still break it down. Sampadoria gets two goals from our own errors. I have faith that Allegri will clean things up. And once we do, it'll be even better. And we should shore up the goals allowed because we're still we're our own worst enemy. I haven't seen a team necessarily like do a whole lot. That's like put us under or created all these uh, opportunities. Our first couple matches were a bit of a mess. I expected it with kind of the lineups we saw, but outside of that, since he's been playing the regular, it's a lot more structured and organized and looks pretty cohesive. Again, it's just these errors in possession would not be Kuliszewski was guilty of that quite a bit. He was guilty yeah. of quite a bit cheaply getting dispossessed, which can't happen, right? Yeah. Um, Eric's got a comment here saying he's got a hard time with Kuliszewski's raw talent, but is also anonymous. Um, thinks he and I agree that uh, you move him to winger and slide Bernardeschi central. Um, this is uh, one we can talk about. I also want to say <laughs> we're going to have to figure something out. And the reason is, and the way we're going to segment this comment from uh, Eric into this whole discussion is that we know that Morata asked for a substitution around 82nd minute. Dybala left in the 21st minute. The news is out, okay. Morata and Dybala are out uh, for Chelsea and Torino, okay. Uh, Alvaro, a low-grade muscle injury in the right thigh. Dybala, elongation of muscle in the left thigh. They'll both be back after the international break so we've got chelsea and then the derby della mola that we have to deal without these two guys now kuliszewski do we adopt because these are the two possible scenarios you have a scenario where max could go to a 4-3-3 with keen as a striker flanked by quadrado and chiesa this essentially leaves kuliszewski out of the mix and he could come in and sub as a winger um, which apparently is supposed to be his natural position. The other is you go with a 4-4-2 and you have Keane and Chiesa up front. What do you guys do? Do we stick with this 4-4-2 that kind of transitions or do we do we work no. into a 4-3-3? Well, the 4-4-2 isn't really a 4-4-2 because Dybala doesn't play as a striker. He drops back and he plays as an attacking midfielder. It, uh, those graphics of the 442 are, are not correct. I'm not buying it. Morata is playing alone up there. And overall, it's good news because we have subs for Morata. We don't have a sub for uh, for Dybala. Um, but Eric with Berna 
Eric, I love you, man. But Berna is the most all-around player I've ever met. He even talked today about playing as a striker, and that's an option. So that covers, like, he played everything but centre-back in the last two seasons. And in relation to what you said earlier, um, no, wait, I forgot. Never mind. I'll go with the 4-3-3. Uh, Chelsea play with three midfielders. They run us down if we play with only two. And they are going to dominate the match. We need stability. We need players all over the pitch. And we need a striker dropping back and pressing those those center backs. So I wouldn't go with, uh, with the so-called 4-4-2, only because we don't have a player really for that position that you validate. Yeah. And uh, let's get uh, Cliff's take on uh, formation-wise, how you set Juve up. So for me... Um, I actually disagree a little bit with Omar. I think we could do a 4-4-2, only though if it's a true 4-4-2. If you actually play it like that formation, you play Chiesa and Keane up top. I've been dying to see this combination up top. I think they'd play so well off of each other. And you'd have Cuadrado playing on the right side, and then you'd have um, probably Kulisevsky on the other side, and then as the backs, you'd probably end up with Sandro and Danilo. And then you'd have uh, Delit and Bonucci or Keane, whoever you want to play there. Um, and I think that would be a really, really solid uh, setup. And then whoever you put in the midfield, Locatelli, Betancourt, or whoever. Um, but I just really want to see, just for one match, because I don't think anybody expects us to win this Chelsea match. I think even, like, I'm very hesitant. I think best-case scenario, we come out of it either 2-1 loss or 2-2 draw, something of that nature. Um, but I think this is the match you want to experiment with because I think the yeah. rest of the group is fairly... Um, winnable. You could beat Zenit. We already beat Malmo. I think there's a very good chance that if we're going to lose this game, you might as well try something new and see how it works. You know, best case scenario, we end up winning this match in some crazy fashion or we draw it. Um, so why not give it a chance to try see what the 4-4-2 does? Who knows? Maybe we find something magical and keen and Kiesa become, you know, that becomes a new thing. The 4-4-2. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I I kind of disagree because there are always tricky matches. Playing Zenit away is a tricky match. And in those type of tournaments, the goal difference makes a lot more, have a lot more impact than in the league game. And trying something new and getting beat by Chelsea could have, uh, could have its consequences later on because this is a home game. We still have to play them away and then it away and we always have those losses to like young boys and the ones that you don't expect so if you can salvage a draw then go with what you know and what the players are used to playing against chelsea in the champions league is not a place to try something new only if you have to which in this case you sort of have to but allegri the fact that allegri is talking about the bad decisions going to counter attacks is, is a good sign but it's not a recent problem it's been the problem for the last two or three years of bad decision making and counter attacks and no one has talked about it no not sorry and not Pirlo. so the fact that he noticed it is a good sign and that will be the type of game we'll have against chelsea so i hope he'll, he'll make his points very clear and the players will use it on the field and I, I do believe we can salvage a win there, or even a draw, but Chelsea are clear players. Yeah. And then uh, we've got uh, some comments coming in here. So uh, RB Comms coming in with, why was Dybala crying? Did he think uh, it was a more severe injury? I think everybody um, thought it was uh, obviously more severe. Um, Bob Yogasal uh, saying good news. The crying reaction thought uh, we thought we would 
be out for months again. And Bob also comments that someone said in the media that leaders don't cry on the pitch. That someone was uh, Dicanio. So Dicanio very open about his criticisms on Dybala as a leader. Uh, basically uh, coming out saying that he shows a fragility that you don't, uh, that is surprising to him to see as a leader of Juventus. The fact that, you know, he missed a PK against Lazio and drops to the ground and he cries for normal things about athletes. And he really criticizes Dybala for being the leader of Juventus. And this is a, this is an interesting one because, you know, um, We've had very, very emotional guys that have been part of Juventus. Buffon was one of them. However, in moments in matches, I don't ever remember seeing any type of uh, weakness or anything through Buffon and whatnot. And I don't know if we necessarily take a bunch of what Dybala does as a weakness or whatnot, but he is an emotional guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And uh, we've heard more and more discussions now lately about Dybala and how he puts a lot on himself, maybe more so than everybody else, maybe more so than the club, maybe more so, like he apparently puts himself under so much. And we've heard um, Allegri and other players, Marquisio, talking about it because he's in contact with Dybala. And he said, he goes, you know, um, Dybala needs to play more free. He needs to stop uh with this um uh, you know uh, putting so much weight on himself because that is how you'll get the best dibala and the other thing is too is we've seen a lot of players that get emotional at times uh in football and whatnot and i don't know if i it's tough and with some athletes it it really depends on how they're perceived at that particular moment because some say it's passion, it's all this dedication, whatnot. And then if you're maybe not on the right side of media currently, then all of a sudden it's a weakness. I don't take much out of Dicanio's words personally. I've always said I believe Dybala could be a leader for this team. However, I understand the criticisms for those that feel that he maybe can't. But if we look at the scenario surrounding Dybala currently, I do not take weakness out of this scenario. And the reason is because we know what a hard, hard year he came from. Two times COVID, an injury, worked his ass off in the offseason. And then to get hurt again when he put so much on his team because of the absence of Ronaldo and Ronaldo leaving and Dybala realizing he's got to step things up and him wanting to. I understand the breakdown. I don't see it as weakness. Is that just me? Do you guys see it as weakness? Um, I was going to say that in terms of him crying, the reason, obviously, we know now it's not a super serious injury. It was obvious that he was crying because he's probably just thinking, my gosh, can I catch a break? Because that poor guy the last year can't catch a break. COVID, like you said, already injured um, a bunch of times last season. And now he's playing some of the – he was starting to play really good football, and then he gets hurt. So – I understand why he's upset. Like, that's a really upsetting thing. Um, especially, you know, when you said he puts a lot of weight on himself and a lot of expectations upon himself. Um, and I think a lot of people throw a lot of weight on him too because he's such a talented player. Um, but I don't think I don't think emotions are a weakness. It's actually 
um, a strength because you can empower your teammates in some of those key moments. It rallies the troops in a lot of um, instances. So I, I don't think it's a problem at all because you remember Ronaldo, everybody praises him for, you know, rallying his team and stuff. And he's a very emotional player too. So I, I don't see a problem with it at all. Yeah. Omar, what do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, I have no problem with Dybala being emotional. If you think he shouldn't cry because he should be a man or anything like that, then grow up. It's okay to be emotional. A lot of guys are emotional. And, you know, these comments usually come from players who haven't done too much and haven't been in the positions of leading a team and carrying them on your back, especially Di Canio and Antonio Cassano. And they are always the ones to criticize and, you know, I don't know, I don't take the words too seriously. And it's easy to stand from the side and say what he should do and how he should behave and blah, blah, blah. But the pressure on those players, you know, the, the hate they get from social media and on the street. And he came back from a really rough year, a lot of injuries, and he was on fire for those 20 minutes. And he finally feels like it's coming together and he's in shape. And suddenly just this injury that wasn't caused by a foul or anything. It's, it's frustrating. I can understand crying over it. and being, That's one way to show frustration is crying. It happens to every player. Ronaldo, Eric said Ronaldo cried because he got a red card in some meaningless game in the Champions League against Valencia. So... Everyone cries, it's natural. Don't feel like you shouldn't be emotional or anything. It even more so points to you to you caring about what you do and want to do yeah. better. So I highly appreciate it. And you know, don't judge anyone until you've been in their shoes. And, and yeah. just give some perspective. I played club soccer, so not very high level at college. On my last game, at the end of the match, I started bawling like a baby. I was so sad to be done from the team. And that's on a very low, low-end soccer. So, I mean, it just shows the passion for the game, the love of the game. Um, you know, people exude it in different ways. So I don't think, I mean, who the hell are we to tell people, you know, how to how to feel? I mean, they're not robots. These guys aren't robots. They're people too. Yeah. So we just have to always keep that in the back of our minds. They're not, they're not like immune to emotions and, and feelings. So Yeah. And yeah. the biggest thing too, I think, is – it was night and day in this one from when Dybala was in for those 20 minutes and when he was out. That to me is a sign of someone that can lead a team in its own because when Dybala's like that and he's in that mood and it, if we found that consistently this season, we would be just fine because the team has always played differently when he's in the lineup. Um, it's just he adds an element and that alone can be it. There's all sorts of different styles of leaders, but to criticize him because he had a breakdown after an injury that he feared was more severe than it is, uh, not really fair in my personal opinion. Um, so I'm fine with that. Now, the good news, again, like we said, these guys are only out uh, until the international break, so they'll probably be back after that. That leaves us with the two matches, Chelsea and then the Derby della Mola. Chelsea... I agreed with the points you guys made. Their midfield will overrun us, I think, if we go with 4-4-2. Keane and Chiesa up top, I don't personally feel it would work. 
um, as effectively if we went with a forward trident with Chiesa on one wing of Keane and Cuadrado on the other. Um, you slot Danilo at right back. 4-3-3 for me um, is how I would line up against Chelsea. The good news about this is that, uh, again, we talked about growing pains of a team and younger guys and everything and Dybala, Morata being out absolutely doesn't hurt us. Does it change our expectations? Yeah, it could. We're being realistic. I mean, these are two big guys you want in that match. However, this is big for those other young guys because number one, you always have to learn how to play without some of your key guys. And number two, it's man trial by fire. And they will learn a lot about themselves, these young guys, in a tough test like this in the Champions League. Good news is it's at home, um, but it's still going to be tough. I'm not completely sold that Juve doesn't come out here. Like, I know a lot of fans are talking, throwing that L out there already. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. It could be an interesting one because even if you look at uh, Tuchel there and what he does with Chelsea and whatnot, they're not necessarily going to be uh guns blazing necessarily like they're they take a pretty reserved approach uh for the most part as well and let's not forget uh their main man is a guy we're very comfortable pocketing okay so uh lukaku does not instill fear in uh killini to uh, or even Benucci for that matter so what's he only i think he's only put one in and that's from the spot if i'm i could be mistaken but we're not concerned about him, and I'm, I'm really not. I think anything can happen in the Champions League, so I'm not going to just drop all expectations. But, of course, 150%, it would be much, much better with Dybala and Morata in the lineup. But, overall, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Right, Omar? Of course. One red card at the 20th minute, and the whole game changes. Like the, this is football. It's all fun and games on paper, but it doesn't say anything about the match itself. Like uh, Chelsea could have 90% possession all game long. Barcelona used to have that, and they didn't win every game of the season. And teams beat them and disqualified them from the Champions League. So this type of stuff happened if you're trying. To, if you think you know how a match is going to end, and then you haven't watched football enough. And know that this type of stuff happened injuries they they have played man city and lost like a couple of days ago they have one extra day of rest uh more than us yeah but but I, i'm always optimistic and i always want you to win i i'm not delusional i want to say we're the better team and we can win easily or anything but if you don't believe we can then don't bother watching the game because because that, that's just football. You got to have belief. You got to have the belief. And uh, I, I'm going to say, we've got the Derby della Mola after that, which, again, I'd, I'll feel comfortable with. Uh, we should feel comfortable with. Just got to get by these two games. Let those guys heal up going into international break, okay? But uh, 4-3-3, and I will say this, possession style, Chelsea, all this, Moyes Keane, can cause some damage. Um, so if we want to get into a counter-attacking uh, thing, whatnot, it could be fine. Chiesa in a 4-3-3, we should hopefully be able to find him in more 1v1 scenarios to exploit, you know, and uh, that was when he was best. In the early stages with Pirlo, 
we actually engage that quite a bit. And when we were, it was fantastic. That's why I say if you have Quadrado in case of flank, like flanking uh, Keane, could be one hell of a trident. Very, very interesting. And Chelsea's going to have to be careful and very much be aware of that counterattack and that counterpunch with those guys. My one thing is Rabio and Bentoncourt cannot share the pitch at the same time. Um, it just it can happen. They are way too similar, and you just don't have enough of a punch out of that midfield. Um, both of those guys are pretty, pretty weak in terms of the final third um, in all aspects. Uh, Decision-making, shooting, uh, the passes. You've got to mix that up. So who do you put in there to mix it up? If you guys even agree with me that you can't have both of them in there, because I truly believe you can't have both of them in there at the same time. Is McKenny enough of a punch? What do you guys think? Cliff? So I 100% agree. But Bentancur and um, Rabio cannot share the midfield. I think Locatelli's a lock. For me, the way that I've been seeing Bentancur play lately, I don't think he's shown that he deserves to be starting. Um, and Rabio, I barely think he deserves to start either. But personally... I've seen him make more runs going forward than Bentancourt. And after that, you know, clear opportunity Bentancourt had in front of goal this past game, I'm honestly willing to give Rabio a chance because when there's good defensive, um, you know, when there's good solid defense in the back and Rabio goes forward, he usually does pretty decent. It's really just when he has to go back and defend is when he's a liability. So I think if you put Locatelli, and I think McKinney deserves to play, I think he's quality enough defensively solid enough defensively that you play Locatelli and McKinney together, solidify that defense. Um, and then um, you put Rabio, let him kind of float a little bit more higher up the pitch and don't force him to go back and do any of that defensive work rate. I think you see this team looking a lot more comfortable in the midfield. Yeah. Out of your muted. My bad. I was coughing. I didn't want to cough into the mic and bother everybody. Uh, Omar, your thoughts? Uh, I'd go with, it, it might sound funny, but Eric will like me. I would go with Keen, Chiesa, Bernardeschi. Um, if we play a 4-3-3. Uh, the midfield, I know Rabio, Rabio was injured a bit and Bentancourt played, I think, every game this season. Uh, might be wrong. But yeah, I agree with Cliff, he hasn't showed that he deserves to play in that match. But when I look at the other midfielders, I don't know who did. Like McKenny hasn't played enough, Ramsey hasn't played enough. So I, I still think this, these are the three players we'll see. If it was my choice, I, I'd play, I don't know, I'd play McKenny probably. Uh, but Locker really needs someone. You know, a competent midfielder next to him because it just looks I asked this, weird. I asked this question to the group and it was um because I truly think like until Arthur comes back, which could potentially be the end of October. I see when Arthur returns that freeing up Locatelli to go as a Metzala and start to get engaged further up the pitch and really support the play. Do you see any of, do you guys see any of the other midfielders that we have that could help do that now? Yes. Nicolo Rovella, the savior <laughs> of Genoa. He could come back and he could start in this midfield right away with his Oh talent. my God. 
A hundred percent. I'm not even kidding. I think Rovella slots in with Locatelli, and this midfield looks significantly better. So you would have had Rovella in that uh, Regista-esque role to get Locatelli yes. freed up to 100%. the side. hundred percent. I trust. I actually trust Rovella more than I would Artur. I mean, if you look right. at Genoa's matches, Rovella owns that midfield. He literally, I mean, he's the only player that sticks out to me on that Genoa team. I, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to uh, convince me on Ravella. I I like Ravella. I'm on the Ravella hype train. Anthony. Anthony. This still doesn't great. answer the question, Cliff. Of who, do we see any of the guys we currently have in the locker room? Artur. Then I think Artur. Once he comes back in, he's so it's right basically now, not an option to do with any of the other guys, and you guys would not feel comfortable with anybody else uh, playing in that. Uh, Regista role to free Locatelli up now because I think that would be a significant upgrade for us overall. But again, I kind of I'm reserved about anybody else doing it. Yeah, I I'd go. The only player who's played that position in the in the current squad is Danilo, and he hasn't played it that much. And when he did, it was convincing for like one and a half games, and so. Funny enough, I would play Rabio there. He has the physicality. His defensive work is good. His attacking contribution is not good. So if anyone out of the current midfield, then Rabio, but that's just because there are no other options. If there were, then Rabio can sit with his mother in the stands for all I care. That's a yeah. disgusting take. I don't like the that one, take. <laughs> the one problem I have with the other guys going in there and Bentico or Rabio or whatnot is... When you watch Locatelli do it, you could see the guys that can do it because you can throw a one a one touch pad there. These guys need Benton Kurabi. They always like it. The sense of urgency isn't at the level that it needs to be when you're in that spot. So I'm afraid. I would love to see it because I think it would help us out tremendously if we free up Locatelli like that. But again, we just can't do it at the cost of the other guys, and and it's a shame. Uh, but I think once Arthur gets back. I think that's got to be an option for Max, and that's what he's got to look to do. Um, as we get close to wrapping up, what percent chance do we think we have beating Chelsea midweek? Who's going to take this one on? Throw a percentage out. I'll throw a percentage out. I want to say 20. 20% chance of beating Chelsea. Cliff, yeah. what's your percent? I like Omer's. I'm going to, just to be slightly different, I'm going to go 18.5%, just so I'm not exactly on Omer's prediction. 20% chance, eh? Oh, man. Wow. Anthony, 100%. Oh, God, Anthony. What the hell is wrong with you? Let's be realistic. 50% enlightened buzz. Uh, 37% for uh, Eric. I was going to go with... Uh, Somewhere in the the forty to fifty uh, mark, to be honest. Even regardless of the guys we're uh, we're missing, sometimes absentees like that can fire up the rest of the guys. You never really know what happens, and it's anything can happen. Again, if they get a red card or something, like some changes the game drastically. It's always closer to 50-50. But straight up, given the guys we have, yeah, maybe forty percent. Probably somewhere in there. We get a lot of twenty fives, a lot of twenty five percent. I just there. don't agree. No, with I don't agree. No with Dybala, no Morata. Come on, we we're missing some key guys against the team that 
basically misses no one. If they, and if they do miss someone, they have world-class replacements for every position. The only place we can really beat them and we're better than them is Chiesa versus Marcus Alonso. Yeah. Yeah. 40 50. Damn, you're a pretty confident guy. Well, hey, anything can happen. It's 50 50. 50 50. Ant's saying 100%. Like, I don't Anthony's think. Anthony's crazy. We, you've, you've known his predictions, right? You've seen his predictions. Yeah, he's been a with the bit team of a, long he's enough. a wild card. Also, by the way, two weeks in a row. Okay. Nobody champ. likes to know it all. Nobody likes to prediction know it all. Prediction champ. Here we go. Look, uh, pretty confident. Yeah, you got to be confident. And the nice thing is, all the things that Omar touched on, I hope Chelsea goes into the match feeling the exact same way because that's what leaves teams open for that throat punch where we can maybe capitalize. I will always, always uh, have faith and hope and belief in the team. But I know I'm also realistic. That's why I dropped it to 40, okay? Football's 50 50. I'll drop it to 40. Let's see what happens. Maybe the guys will surprise us all. Uh, but yeah. Ultimately, this was recap in the Serie A match. We are going to do a Chelsea uh, Champions League uh, match day live. Omar, you'll be joining me on that one. Um, we got a lot of good stuff planned. We always have fun. There's going to be some fantastic trivia for this one. And uh, very, very excited Champions League, regardless of who's playing. It's always the Champions League matches that get me jacked up. And uh, the trophy itself may be making an appearance for that match day live. And... Uh, Real quick, something I want to touch on, we didn't get a chance to. Again, Alex Sandro continues to play fantastic. Against Sampdoria, we didn't really touch on it, but he was one of my guys that could have had a man of the match. Sandro's like flipped the script, and I've been very, very hard on him for several years now, but uh, he had a great match against uh, Sampdoria as well should be in the mix we're gonna need him to have another big match and the biggest question mark around him is how consistent can he be and how much gas does he have in the tank to be like that but uh and everybody's gonna have to be uh sharp on uh wednesday come chelsea match um uh, what do you guys think so far of uh alexandro this season well like, like i said a few pods ago um Ronaldo not playing on his flank gives them a bit more room and space. You know, covering for Ronaldo is a lot of work. And, you know, up to one season ago, we had Matuidi who could help him with that. It was also a workhorse. But uh, now that he has sometimes Bernadeschi or Chiesa or players that work as hard as him and do draw back the defense, uh, it frees him up a bit. It gives them some more space to run. And, you know, er not everyone is targeting his side of the pitch because Ronaldo is there so it's always it was always locked but he he really you know took the responsibility with both hands and he, up until now he, he's been great he's been great and I'm really pleased with him especially defensively but also offensively yeah absolutely Cliff yeah so starting off he started the season a little bit slow but then the last few matches he's really got into it um you know, we've always known that, you know, he could be a two-way player. He can go up and he can put in some good crosses. Um, and he can also drop back defensively pretty well. But he's really showing some of his best qualities in the last few matches. Um, how he can really be solid out the back. Um, so I think he's he's getting ready for that contract extension. That's what he that's what he's really doing. He wants that bag. I mean, if he can continue playing like this, maybe we give him an extension. I don't 
I don't know what the right answer is because he's an interesting player. He's had a few years where he's lapsed a little bit in terms of his ability. And now it looks like all of a sudden he's coming on. So that'll be a management decision. Do we sell him at a high or do we try to extend him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, we're going to be, uh, and I almost don't even want to talk about contracts and uh, any of that because it's, going to be a tricky tricky scenario for uh Kierubini and uh, Riva Bene to uh manage over the next little bit because we're not out of the uh, water yet um uh, it's going to take some time uh we really really got caught and then the pandemic just really really blasted us so we'll uh we'll have to see what uh what we'll have to do um do watch along uh guys for the uh, Wednesday Champions League match. Look, I would love to. We did a watch along uh, yesterday for Sampdoria because it worked uh out schedule-wise cuz it's 3:30 in the morning my time, so everybody's asleep here. It's perfect timing. It doesn't always work. Unfortunately, Wednesday I'll be working, but I would love to do a uh a match day. And this is exactly why we need way more subscribers. So share the news. Let's build this community up. Hey, maybe I'll quit my job. Uh, if we start uh, again, things and I'll do all the watch alongs you guys want. All right. But uh, no, it's been uh, fantastic. We thank you all for the support. But again, it does go a long way. Uh, we love the support. Share, share the videos, uh, retweet everything. Uh, just help us out and let's help grow this community that has been so fantastic uh, for the time being. Cliff and Omar, absolute pleasure. Got to recap a victory. It's always great when we win. Um, yes, there's work to be done. But still, the victories are all that counts. We get the three points. We back the top ten, boys. We're still okay, so we're at ninth uh, spot now. There's nowhere to go but up when we were down in that relegation zone. I told everybody, hey, nowhere to go but up. We've got everybody ahead of us so we can see exactly what they're doing. We'll be good. Um, everybody who's tuning into this pod on audio, uh, the live chat is fantastic and a lot of fun. Make sure you get over to the YouTube channel. Subscribe. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff breaking through uh, hopefully the next couple of weeks that Cliff's going to get involved with and uh, spearhead. So uh, you'll have to stay tuned to find out what that is. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, thank you as always. Enjoy the next couple of days. We'll be back for the Match Day Live on Champions League Day, and we'll get you fired up and ready for that match. And, uh, again, based on uh, the response to the live chat, Hopefully, hopefully uh, the lads uh, surprise all of us and uh, get the job done. We will wait and see. As always, till then, Forza Juve, Fino alla Fina. Ciao, everybody.